Disclaimer. This is not a fully scientific project. We aim to entertain and offer knowledge that is either common or familiar to people within most Slavic cultures. Every accent you are going to hear is natural. If you are having any difficulties with the names or the way we pronounce things, the link in the show notes leads to the full transcript of the episode. Enjoy your stay. In English-speaking media, Russians are often portrayed as evil, menacing, or obscure. While this podcast doesn't approve of violence or hate of any kind, it is a tool for those who aim to create evil, menacing, or obscure content. You want to add Russian lore to your story? Go for it. Just make it legitimate. We are here to help with that. My name is Doc. My name is Stacy. And you are listening to He is, is a Letter, Dark Russian Folklore Podcast. To this day, there is a common idea nobody really questions. If you ask a Russian who should enter a new home first, it's highly likely they'll answer without thinking it's a cat. Cats figure prominently in Russian law. Cats are the first to cross the threshold of a new house. Cats tell the best stories. Cats can bargain with witches and fight off evil spirits. Cats also eat people. We are going to explore and explain each of these ideas here. In several cultures, cats, as well as roosters, dogs, pigs, or even humans, if we look far enough back into the history of this tradition, used to be sacrificed to make sure that a freshly built house wouldn't crumble down. Exchanging a life for a building's stability is a startlingly common tradition. A sacrificed animal or person was buried under the building's foundation to keep the evil of any kind away. The logic of our ancestors in this case is rather simple. New places are hungry, they should be fed so we'd better give them something before they ask for it. The later version of the same superstition says that a cat, who is the first to enter a new house, gathers every bad thing that could reach its inhabitants. The idea is the same. Evil entities hunt whatever creature is the first to enter a new place. In some regions, there is also a belief that the first one to enter is going to be the first one to be carried out after their death. So you'd better make it a cat, since its lifespan is naturally shorter. There is no particular reasoning behind it being a cat as opposed to another type of animal, but it is fairly safe to assume that the connection to domestic guardian spirits like the Mavoy is in play here. The second favorite in this sacrificial chart is a rooster, since this bird is strongly associated with dawn and sunlight. Nowadays, the old sacrificial tradition isn't followed anymore, or at least we very much hope it isn't. But the idea that the very first living being entering any new building is doomed persists in the most surprising form. Even if someone moves to a new address and there is no way for the building to have been freshly built, the cat has become a symbolic creature that should always enter first. 
I have personally been commissioned to paint a cat for a family moving into a different flat. It is the symbol that matters, not the sacrifice. Similar to most European cultures, the idea of cats being generally demonic in nature isn't new for Russians. The connection between a cat and a demon, though, is rather peculiar. After 988, when Vladimir the Saint had converted to Christianity a vast number of lands that were under his rule at the time, most local pagan beliefs got intertwined with the Eastern Orthodox Christianity on a deep visceral level. As a result, it's a common idea in Russian folklore that when the rebellious angels were banished from heaven, they turned into all kinds of unzealy creatures upon their fall. If an angel fell into a forest, they became a leshy, woodland spirit. If an angel fell into a river, they became a vodinoi, water entity. If an angel fell onto a house, they became a domovoi, a supernatural being protecting the house they inhabit, and so on. If an angel fell down onto some sort of a border, a fence, or any line that divides one land from another, they became a chort. Etymologically, some ethnography scholars associate the word chort with the word cherta, a line, a border, a threshold, a liminal space. A chort belongs to no place in particular. This might be the main feature that distinguishes a Slavic chort when compared to a classical Christian demon from other cultures. If you see a black cat, it's most likely a demon in a more socially acceptable form. That, combined with the belief that Archangel Michael actively seeks and destroys demons with lightning, led to the superstition that no black cat should remain indoors during a thunderstorm. Curiously enough, not only black cats are considered to be supernatural. A white or a grey cat is a shape traditionally favored by witches and sorcerers. A large black or grey tabby cat could be the chosen shape of Kikimara, a noisy and malevolent house spirit, or a Damavoy. In his fairy tale that dates back to 1829, Somov describes a Kikimara as an incredibly ugly grey cat with cold paws. A cat also counts as a demon who must be destroyed if it is noticed during a rather obscure ritual of plowing around the village. This tradition used to be quite persistent. At the very least, the recordings of it being still carried out date back to 1903. The idea is to make a circle in the ground around the village to ward off all the evil that might enter it. But the devil is in the details. The plowing should be performed in secret by a council of women, at least one widow, at least one maiden, the exact number differs from region to region, at night time. Several other details follow as such. The plow should be stolen. The widow is to be the one who acts as the animal who usually moves the plow, harness and all. The weirder version of the ritual also includes holding up an icon of a Christian saint, usually the Mother Mary. Given the fact this ritual hardly has anything to do with Christianity, even the Eastern Orthodox one. It feels like our ancestors just decided that adding some more religion to the mix wouldn't hurt. 
If the procession of howling, praying, excited women saw a cat, a dog, or, God forbid, a male, it all ended in bloodshed. Another cat-centric kind of witchcraft was practiced by millers. Any mill powered by water flow should have had at least one black cat or a black rooster inhabiting it. The animal was considered to be a kind of a panic switch in case a Vodinoi got angry and messed with the waters, breaking the mill or flooding the area. It was believed that Vodinoi liked black cats. It wasn't usually a good thing for the cat. To conclude the parade of black cat violence, I need to mention a magic ritual for acquiring a so-called invisibility bone that was recorded back in the 1700s. It is quite an unappetizing one, so content warning for extra animal cruelty for the next 30 seconds. One should seek out a black cat that has no hair of any other color, Boil it until there is no meat left on its bones. Gather those bones and sit down in front of a mirror. The idea is to put every bone in one's mouth, one by one, while maintaining eye contact with the mirror. One of these bones should be able to grant its bearer invisibility. What seems particularly odd about all the aforementioned rituals is the requirement of ending a cat's life. Besides the universal idea of a cat having nine lives, it is believed that if one killed a cat, they would face seven years of bad luck. Besides that one, the list of superstitions goes on and transforms over time. One such superstition says that one shouldn't fear a house fire, if there is a tricolor cat in the household. In 1853, Vladimir Dal, whose fame comes mostly from creating a dictionary of Russian language that is still in use, published a collection of Russian proverbs. At least 75 of these include cats, such as Feline eyes fear no smoke. When the cat's outside the house, the mice start dancing. There is no friendship between two cats in one bag. The cat would weep with the mouse's tears. One who doesn't give birth should feed a grey kitten. That last one is an understandable assignment. Linguistically speaking, the Russian word for cat has no gender-neutral forms. The plural form is more commonly female, koshki, than male, katy. So addressing cats in general almost always means addressing female cats. Which brings us to the story of a specifically male man-eating monstrosity that inhabits Russian tales. Bayun the cat, called Bayun, is easily one of the most famous felines in Russian folklore. In one of the versions of the folk tale Knee-deep in gold, elbow-deep in silver, one of the potential brides of Ivan Tserevich sometimes translated as Prince Ivan, offers him Bayun the cat as a wedding gift. If Ivan Tserevich marries me, I shall give him Bayun the cat. When that cat is telling stories, he can be heard from three miles away, three versts to be precise, but from now on, for the sake of keeping things simple, let's imagine fairy tale Russians using the imperial system. Personally, we don't know what could possibly be a better gift, but in case you are interested, for the Tsarevich it wasn't sufficient. In the fairy tale called 
go there, don't know where, bring something, don't know what. Yes, that is the title, although it would make sense to translate it just as improvise. The Tsar tasks the protagonist with going beyond the Trice Ninth Lands to the Thirtieth Kingdom to obtain Bayun, who sits on a high pillar of twelve sergeants, 84 feet, and kills a huge lot of people to death. Yes, that's the exact quote, and no, we aren't messing with English vocabulary. Bayun, in this case, is a giant man-eating cat with a charming voice and nearly endless supply of songs and fairy tales. The name Bayun itself originates from the verb bayet, which means not only to speak and to tell, but also to bewitch. It's not easy to even approach Bayun, for he casts irresistible drowsiness on those who try to get closer and eats them up after chopping them to pieces with his iron claws. Mind that the tale itself is notably cruel to everyone involved, which is unsurprising for most stories old enough to be dated back to the times when one of the few available kinds of fun was witnessing a public execution. Andrew the Unfortunate entered the Thirtieth Kingdom. Three miles from the spot, sleep started to overcome him, so he put on his three iron caps and kept going, flapping his arms, dragging his feet, even trying to roll forward when his legs failed him. Eventually he found himself in front of a pillar. Bayoon the cat jumped right on his head, smashed one iron cap, smashed another, tried to smash the third one. But at this moment Andrew grabbed him with iron tongs, dragged him down and started to whip him. Acting according to his wife's rather harsh instructions, Andrew the unfortunate deals with the cat and then tricks him into breaking his teeth on iron communion bread. There is plenty of iron items in the recorded Russian tales which could be linked to the European idea of fair folk fearing cold iron. The main motif explored here is that a warrior's power was believed to be measured by their ability to consume food. The cat dares Andrew to eat more than him. Andrew is way less powerful than Bayun, so he turns to deception instead of relying on physical strength. He explains that he has no interest in the cat's bread, offering the feline Andrew's bread to try. Bayun the cat falls for the trick, since Andrew pretends the Iron Communion bread is edible. After the taming of the cat, both he and Andrew proceed to deal with the Tsar. Upon seeing the cat, the Tsar ordered, Come now, Bayun cat, show me great passion. The exact words I am saying to my cat after coming home from work, to be honest. The cat began to sharpen his claws and try them on the Tsar, for he wanted to tear apart the Tsar's white chest and take out his living heart. The frightened Tsar begged, Calm your Bayun cat down, I shall do anything you want. The gigantic nature of Bayun is very likely referenced in Michael Bulgakov's most famous novel, Master and Margarita, first draft 1928, first publication 1967, which includes a demon cat, Behemoth. Fun fact. The name of the novel is often misinterpreted, since the word master does not have a possessive connotation in the Russian language. The only thing a person can master is their art or craft. A master doesn't equal an owner. Some of the prototypes for Behemoth the cat were Bayun, 
a terrifying desert monster, a demon of gluttony, Hoffman's cat Murr, and Bulgakov's own cat Flushka. Behemoth is huge as a boar, black as soot or a rook, with a daredevil cavalry moustache, and he is able to walk on his hind paws. While being a trickster, a demon, and a tomfool of Satan himself, Behemoth appears to be the member of the inner circle of the devil's retinue. Throughout the book he is shown as an instigator and direct participant of the most dashing and amusing of the diabolic occurrences. He tries to pay for the tram ride while being a literal cat. He greets one of the characters with a short glass of vodka in one paw and a fork with which he managed to impale a pickled mushroom in the other. He even deals cordially with the officers who eventually come to arrest the devil's servants. Immediately, people scattered throughout all the rooms and found no one. In the dining room, however, there were the remains of a breakfast, apparently only just abandoned. And in the living room on the mantelpiece, a giant black cat sat next to a crystal jug, holding an oil cook stove in his massive paws. For a long time, the newcomers stared up at the cat in total silence. Eventually, one of the visitors whispered, Well, this is clever indeed. The cat, frowning inhospitably, answered, Not fooling around, not bothering anyone, just fixing the cook stove. Also, it is my duty to warn you that a cat is an ancient, sacred animal. It's exceptionally well done, whispered another of the gathered men. His companion nodded and addressed the cat directly. Well, sacred ventriloquist puppet cat, come this way if you please. As he spoke, one of the visitors unfurled and threw the silk net he had brought, but to their surprise, it missed its target entirely, managing to catch only the crystal jug which toppled from the mantelpiece and shattered on the floor. Rumiz, cried the cat, hurrah! And saying this, he set aside the cook stove and pulled a browning pistol from behind his back. The cat took aim at the nearest intruder, but before he had a chance to shoot, his target's hand blazed with fire. The cat, shot by the intruder's mauser, toppled headfirst from the mantelpiece to the floor, dropping the browning and knocking the cook stove down. It's all over, the cat said in a weak voice, sprawled out in a puddle of blood. Get back, let me say my final goodbyes to the earth. Oh, my friend Azazella, moaned the cat, bleeding profusely. Where are you? He turned his fading eyes towards the dining room door. You left me to an uneven fight. You abandoned poor behemoth, traded me for a glass of, rather good, I must admit, cognac. Oh, oh, well, let my death weigh upon your conscience, and I bequeath to you my browning. Around the cat, a whisper of, the net, the net, the net, anxiously rose, but the net, devil knows why, had stuck in someone's pocket and never found its way out. The only thing that can save a fatally wounded cat, continued the cat, is a swig of petrol. Taking advantage of the ongoing confusion, the cat put his lips to the round hole of the cook stove 
and had a good drink. The blood immediately stopped flowing from under his upper left leg. The cat jumped up, alive and cheerful, climbed the wall, and in two seconds was high above the people, perched on a metal cornice. What a champ. Besides the giants with iron claws and literal devils, in Russian tales there is a peculiar motif of scholar cats. Several tales include them as a fleeting presence of something odd, usually coming from the sea and inhabiting apple orchards. Perhaps the most famous interpretation of the idea is the cat from the poem Ruslan and Ludmila by Alexander Pushkin. Here is his description, as translated by Irina Zhilizhnova. On seashore far a green oak towers, and to it, with a gold chain bound, a learned cat whiles away the hours by walking slowly round and round. To right he walks and sings a ditty, to left he walks and tells a tale. This is the image that most Russian-speaking people are introduced to at school. A more modern interpretation of a cat narrating tales can be found in the novel Monday Begins on Saturday by the Strugatsky brothers. Vasily the cat is a classic scholar with an encyclopedic knowledge of folklore, who meanwhile isn't able to finish any of his stories or songs, and suffers from that immensely. In Old Peter's Russian Tales by Arthur Ransom, published in 1916, there is a retelling of one of the tales about Baba Yaga, in which a scholar cat, capable of performing complex tasks and simple magics, lives in Baba Yaga's hut as a familiar. He is simultaneously an ally, a servant and a foe of Baba Yaga, since she hardly pays any attention to him. When a little girl who is being held captive by Baba Yaga shares food with him, he decides to help her escape. Says the thin black cat to the little girl. You have a comb in your hair and you have a towel. Take them and run for it while Baba Yaga is in the bathhouse. When Baba Yaga chases after you, you must listen. And when she is close to you, throw away the towel and it will turn into a big wide river. It will take her a little time to get over that. But when she does, you must listen. And as soon as she is close to you, throw away the comb and it will sprout up into such a forest that she will never get through it at all. But she'll hear the loom stop says the little girl. I'll see to that, says the thin black cat. The cat does that, while being ready to face the wrath of Baba Yaga, for gratitude is sacred, and networking is key. The best part of the cat presence in fairy tales, superstitions and nursery rhymes is that a cat doesn't need to be monstrous or magical to be spoken about. It just has to be a cat. Russian folklorist and historian Alexander Afanasyev collected and recorded over 600 tales. The collection was first published in 1855. The analysis of his works shows that there is a tale with the same plot about a cat, a rooster and a fox. There are eight Belarusian variants of it, 11 Ukrainian and 49 Russian. The plot is repetitive and typical for a cautionary tale. 
A rooster and a cat live under the same roof, but the cat has to be away from home for various cat reasons. He leaves the house, asking the rooster to keep the doors shut. The rooster disobeys and opens the doors for the fox, who steals him and carries him away. The situation repeats several times, and depending on the variation of the tale, the rooster is either finally eaten or rescued in the most peculiar manner. One of the versions of this text suggests that the cat disguises himself as a minstrel in order to lure the fox out of her lair. Curiously enough, in other tales, a cat and a fox are a team of tricksters. The fox uses the fact that the woodland creatures know nothing about a domestic cat and makes everyone in the forest think that he is a mighty beast whom they should fear. The opening theme for this podcast is, in fact, a variation of a folk tune for a lullaby about a cat exploring the woods to find a ribbon for a cradle. It might sound a little bit on the creepy side, but there is a cat in there. One should never forget about the menacing similarity of a house cat to an ancient, all-knowing, silver-tongue man-eater. Heavens no, they haven't forgotten. We would like to dedicate this episode to Stacy's late cat Milka, who is currently listening to this from the indescribable void full of treats and catnip. This episode was researched, written and translated by Doc and Stacy, with proofreading and advice kindly provided by Craw and Saika. Our guest star for this story is David Old himself, do please check his website and other works, which you probably know already, but still. Musical score for this podcast was composed and performed by Andrei Popov, with recording, mixing and additional sound design by Doc. The double bass tune for the behemoth scene was written, performed and recorded by Ksenia Savchenko. Check out her YouTube. Thank you for listening, and may no darkness engulf you without your consent. <laughs>